Hart's got the sit. One hand. Oh, oh, oh. oh the post is broken. Matthew's in it. Oh, talk about a he-man. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. This is your football life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Well, we're doing that again today, Matthew, and thank you to you and g'day to you all across the nation and, in fact, the world on the World Wide Web. This is your football life with the kindest regards of Tobin Brothers and the VFL and AFL. Thousands of men have played the game at this the highest level. Some play and move on and others have more of an impact. They make a lasting impression that will indelibly be recorded in the history of the game forever. Such, folks, is the case with today's guest. He played 188 games for Footscray between 1958 and 68. He is the 1960 Brownlow medalist, a five-time Bulldog best and fairest, a back pocket in the Footscray team of the century. He is in the AFL Football Hall of Fame. He's recognised as one of the gentlemen of football and a pre-eminent ruckman in the game. He's 77 years young and he's going strong. His name, folks, is John Schultz. And, John, welcome to This Is Your Football Life. Thanks very much, Rex, and thank you for having me. John, are you at all surprised when you take a little bit of a breath in your 78th year on the planet that uh, when I read out your record, are you surprised or were you always, as a young man, really focused on making the best of your ability as a ruckman? No, as from as from the start, I always enjoyed watching the local team at board play. I was as a kid, I'd be in, in the dressing rooms, in amongst the players as they were getting changed, and, and I was soaking up the atmosphere. And, and from then, from that time on, it's been a tremendous ride for me. Football is a wonderful game, and uh, I've made some everlasting friendships from it. And, and I must say that I'm enthusiastic about the game now, after what 58 years as I was when I first started. And it's all... Um, I can't say that I aspired to be a league player. I used to listen to the radio, and John Coleman was uh, the star at the time, and um, no television, of course, but you really uh, started to appreciate the game, and it's been a great ride ever since. John Bort... Uh, John Bort... <laughs> John Schultz uh, came from Bort, uh, which is in the North Central League, and I spent a lot of my young days going to places like Birchip and Berrawillick, and it was a very, very strong league, even back then, John. It certainly was, and, and as a young player, it was my first um, season playing for board in 1957. I'd been injured in 56 and missed the whole season with a broken arm, but the, the beauty of it from a young player's perspective was that generally the coaches from the opposing sides who were, in a lot of cases, Ruckman, were ex-league players, very experienced. They'd, they'd had their time in the league, but I found it was a tremendous learning curve for me as a young player to, to be pitted against them and, and uh, learn all the tricks and the, and the way they went about their game. I can remember as a kid in the uh, Mordialic Sea Scouts in the late 50s when you first went to the Western Oval, I reckon I saw Ted Whitten in an old-fashioned grocery store. Uh, for those young people, a grocery store is where you buy things you buy in the supermarket now. I reckon I saw you behind a counter somewhere wearing an apron. Were you in a grocery store somewhere? Yes, we had a family a grocery store in Cinder. We came down from Bort. My family had, had uh, a general store in Bort, which was uh, groceries and hardware. 
and they, uh, when my brother and I were both domiciled in Melbourne, they decided to sell up in Bort and move down, and they they moved down to Sindal, which is Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley, and we were there as a as a family unit for about over 30 years. It was a, a great area to. Uh, from a country situation to go to, it was almost country in those days. Mm. Uh, John Schultz has joined us, and this is your footy life with the kindest regards at Tobin Brothers. John, don't get nervous. We're not sort of saying that you should be prepaying for your uh, service, mate, but we're just celebrating your life. Tell us about Caulfield Grammar. Some famous football names have come out of Caulfield Grammar. I'm one of the old school, although it's Mordialic High School, uh, that does suggest that going to a school that really promotes sport is is a great combination with education, sport and life. Yeah, we've had uh, Caulfield has been fortunate to to nurture some very good young players. Chris Judd was a student there. He was very good both at football and also at, at athletically. Brendan Goddard's another ex-student. The Callaway brothers um, yes. played with Richmond. Um, I think in, in I played say in nineteen fifty. 55 would have been my year there, and I reckon that we had about five players that went on to play league football. Charlie Abbott went on to play with Hawthorne, uh, Ron Cabell. Uh, but surprisingly, I always think that they were, the, they were very good players in the side, but there were other players in the side that didn't go on to play league football. Oh. As I, re- they, I rated them just as highly. I do the same thing, and I, I, I was just asked to say a few words at a 50-year school reunion the other day, and I, I pointed to Andrew Webster, and I pointed to Russell Mansfield, and I said, you know, you should be where I am, you know, having played the game or broadcast, and it's it just, what what is not the secret, John? What happens to these magnificently skilled young men that they they don't waste their talent, but they just don't go on? And a few blokes, a few plotters like myself actually do okay. What, what's your theory behind that? I think that it's, um, say, in, in your situation, Rex, that it'd be uh, you're well suited to what you're doing, your, your personality and, and your love of the game uh, draws and extracts from players that you're interviewing what the, the people, the football followers really want to hear. And, uh, and, and as far as the other people are concerned. I think in this day and age with the uh, Players Association and the AFL very aware that there is life after football and players have to be grounded as to what they're going to move on to when when the day comes when they can't actually play the game, whether you can have a certain number that become assistant coaches and or coaches, some that go on to committee level, but I think it's very important that you do have something to move on to, or the players do, and, and, and that's in the um, in the pipeline for what they're going to do after they finish playing football. Because unfortunately, over the years there have been bad cases of depression, yes. and I think that that's got to be addressed very quickly, so that players don't get into that trap and that situation where they feel that. After football, the bottom falls out of their world. Yeah. Uh, 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 later on in this series, during the year, I'm going to speak with Gareth Andrews, who I swapped with in 1974, which is unheard of now. And Gareth has a uh, an organisation that he's a chairman of, uh, Life Again, and it involves helping AFL players, you know, through really, really bad mental times. And Jeff Kennett's done it for the general population, and it's great to see Gareth. But that uh, more about that later on. Uh, John Schiltz is with us today with the kindest regards of uh, Tobin Brothers celebrating the footy life of John. 
John, briefly, just tell us the way that you found yourself to Western Oval because I think the year before you were a, quite a good player uh, in the main team for the Caulfield Grammarians. Uh, tell us about your journey that ended up at Western Oval as a young boy. Well, I did, uh, I did play at Caulfield Grammar in my final year at school and I was going to play with the old boys but unfortunately in the first bounce of the first practice game I went up and toppled over the player that I was opposed to and broke badly broke my arm. So uh, I was boarding at the YMCA at the time and, I, and the job came up at board to, to work in the bank. So I decided that I'd take that job if I could get it, and I did. So I, I sat out the 56th season, but I was able to play in 57 that year. Yeah. Now, because I hadn't played prior to that, I wasn't really very well known uh, as a prospect for for people to recruit, although there were talent scouts coming up at that time. And um, just if I could diverge a little bit, just the, the, yes. the talent scouts used to come up and, and interview prospects. And on this particular day, I was working in the bank, a very quiet town of Bort, and, and we were looking out the window. Here these two fellows come up. They've got these roll-neck jumpers, and they're unshaven, and, and they've, they get out of their car, and they start walking up the path towards the bank, and we thought, we think, uh-oh, what's going on here? Mm. And uh, it turned out that when they came into the bank, they said, oh, look, uh, is John Schultz here? I'm Alan Killigrew, I coach, and I uh, just want to have a talk to him. So our fears were allayed. We didn't have to worry about being held up or anything like that, although for a while we thought we were going to be. And, uh, of course, you would be aware when you arrived at the Western Oval in your first season and you played the whole 18 games and there was 18 home and away games of some great household names because most sides in the VFL then, a 12-side domestic competition in Victoria, mainly Melbourne, uh, had some fantastic ruckmen. You know, Butch Gale and a young John Nichols started off. Uh, I can remember most sides, you know, particularly Richmond, Roy Wright, there was some really thumping, big, good old-fashioned ruckman about John. Again, as it was when I was playing against the country league coaches who were quite often ruckmen, I think if you look at the... Um, at, the, say, the Hall of Fame for the AFL, you look at Big Nick, you've got Polly... Um, two great, great ruckmen, and, and I played a lot of football with them in state football and against them. But as you've mentioned, there was uh, Butch Gale. Uh, it was John Kennedy's last last game. Roy Wright, I had a oh. great rapport with, with Roy. He was a wonderful man, and uh, um, he was, uh, you know, in a way, a, a mentor for me as a young player. I can remember after the, after the first game against him, he went through my game and, and said, I think you could improve here. And, and you, you know, he, he wasn't putting himself upon me, but it just showed the sort of person he was. He could see that that uh, he, he would like to help, even though I was an opponent. And um, it was a great learning. Butch Gale was another one that was uh, very rugged and very tough. And mm. uh, it just showed you how you had to be able to look after yourself. Butch was a a very fair player, but he came through very hard and strong and uh, you had to learn to protect yourself. And that's one of the things that Roy Wright said, hey, you've got to uh, learn to protect yourself a little bit more. Before we take our first well, break and Bob come back... Bob Johnson was around yeah. then. Oh, too. Big Bob, the left footer who went on to coach Oakley. Oh, what a star in those Melbourne was, teams. Yeah, so you had your hands full oh, when yeah. you were playing against players like that. And uh, probably the case is one of the things I can remember you wearing is pretty thick shin guards, John. <laughs> yeah, the... <laughs> the shin guards were very um, 
very important in those days, and I think every I'm amazed in this day and age that you don't see many players wearing them. But yeah, um, and in those days there were the leather stops with the the nails coming through at times. They were inspected by the by the umpires before the game, but they were fairly sharp. And if you got raked by those, you you really knew it. So it was it was important. Um, just talking about that sort of thing, there was to tell you how much the game has changed. There was one game where I was you, you realised that there was no interchange. It, once you came off the ground, you couldn't come back on again. Yes. So on this particular occasion, I was on the ground and 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 we'd all been contesting it and gone to the ground and the ball had spilled free. Fred Swift, the late Fred Swift, who was a the captain of Richmond at the time and a great man. Yes. He jumped the pack. Uh, to get to the ball on the other side. And as he's gone across the top of my head, his stops have raked my head and split it right open. So what happens is the the Richmond uh, doctor really came out. He could see all the blood, and there wasn't a blood rule in those days. He could see the blood, and he said, John, can you mind if I have a look at your head? And so on. Games going on around us. He's got me sitting on the ground. He's looking at my head, and he said, "I think it needs a stitch, you know." Yes. And he said, "Do you mind if I stitch it up?" And, he, and I said, "No, no." So he said, well, "Wait a minute." And he went back and he got his medical kit, and he said, "Before I, I give you this, um, they start stitching. I, I think you better have a swig of this." And it was a little <laughs> flask of brandy, and I was a teetotaler at the time. So here he is. He gives me this, this um, flask to drink and I have a drink and the game's going on around us and he's stitching up my head this is the opposition uh, doctor let's make it clear it's exactly right and um, (laughs) so I get up off the ground he said okay I think you're right now so I got up and you remember the Cracker Brothers how they used to glide across the ground having been a teetotaler and and, and having a swig of brandy I was on top of the world I was gliding across the ground we might be getting onto something new we've got all the drug rules and that sort of thing mate we might have to give them a a .05 test at the end of the day but it's great to talk to John Schultz folks and and out of the break we're going to continue on and and when we come back we're going to talk about 1961 because this is when the young boy from the North Central League became a star winning the game's highest individual honour I'm Rex Hunt. I'm talking to the famous John Schultz. And for Tobin Brothers, this is your football life. Dream rises to the top. He is an absolute legend of the game. You're listening to This Is Your Football Life with Rex Hunt for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. Well, Matthew, we're celebrating a rips and order today. Johnny Schultz, I can remember as a young kid in short pants, seeing him. Uh, when the Footscray Football Club invited the Mordialic Sea Scouts out to a game at Western Oval and uh, can remember such names as Witten and Sutton. Uh, these sort of blokes, you know, they have a great influence on young people. Uh, let's get to 1960, John. Uh, your breakout year. Some of the biggest names in the game then and now were running around, you know, vying for Brownlow medals. Kevin Bulldog Murray won it, you know, and uh, Bobby Skilton three times, Billy Goggin. Gee, there was a lot of competition, but as a 21-year-old, you found yourself with a Brownlow medal. Tell us your recollection of that time. Well, I think it came about because um, in those days, fitness was very important. If you realise the game was almost amateurish in as much as you, you, in a lot of cases, your outside job was more important to you than your, uh, your football. But in the, the work that I was doing, which was in the supermarket or the grocery store, I was physically doing a lot of work and I was very fit and I think that that helped me get over the line in 1960. Uh, there was a lot of 
you know, there were some very good players to, that I was playing against. But I had a, a dream run, really, as far as no injuries that year. I felt that I was very fit. Um, and uh, it just all came about. Ted was a great uh, influence on me. I can remember in the last game, we used to change. In, I used to change in the back pocket in those days. He, I went off to, to have my spell, as it was called in those days, just to let the other ruckman have a run. And Ted called me back. He said, play on. Don't don't go off. Don't yeah. go off. It was the last game. He, he felt that I was having a bit of a chance to to, to do well in the, the in the medal and um, mm. made sure that I stayed on. What a wonderful man. And we saw the uh, outpouring of emotion on that lap of honour on that beautiful day at the MCG. And Neil Curley and others just absolutely heartbroken because, broken because we knew that Ted was on a one-way trip. Uh, but... It must have been quite unique. He was your captain, your coach, your mentor, and your teammate, and your friend. Uh, must have been just uh, even enjoyable going to training with such a grand man. Yes, he was. Uh, I always rate him as being like a big brother. He always had my best interests at heart. I felt him even say my first state game, which was in the first year, and I was very unsettled just down from the I hardly knew my way around Melbourne. And he's at centre-half forward in the state side and I'm in the forward pocket. And um, the ball comes down to him very early in the game. And he he took the ball at centre-half forward. He didn't look for anyone else but me. So he gave me a perfect pass that hit me on the chest, as we used to mark on the chest in those days. And I was able to kick a goal and I was on my way. He just sort of did it to, to settle me in. And uh, that was the way it was for my whole career. He was yeah. my coach when I started. 1958 and he was still coaching when I finished in 1968 wow and um, he went on to play into the 70s and uh, he was a great man that was a tragedy that that he uh, had uh, prostate cancer and and died at such a young age but the legacy John Schultz is now is uh, just like uh, depression and everything else that they've been addressed and there are people whose lives are being saved because of these great people Uh, take us to 61 uh, you're an All-Australian. The Dogs had a fantastic uh, home-and-away season. You made the grand final, but Hawthorne got you by 43 points, despite you leading at half-time. Uh, take us back to your only final series, because I suppose when it's all said and done, what we all play for is the chance to play in a grand final. Yes, that was a, a dream run in 1961. We, uh, we had a very fast, skilled side. And we're up against Kennedy's commandos. Say, when we got through to the grand final, uh, we were up against Kennedy's commandos. And as I was saying before, fitness was an important aspect of the game, even in those days. And um, Brendan Edwards was a phys ed, and, and and John Kennedy was the coach. And John Hawthorne had had a very lean trot prior to that. I think they'd won a premiership. They hadn't won a premiership. No, they hadn't. In VFL. You'd won one. And uh, it was... John's focus in life to win a premiership for, for Hawthorne. So he got this team and they were super fit. Uh, and on the day it was over 30 degrees and um, and we were, their philosophy was to, to make every contest a, a real battle. So we were hit every time we went near the ball. Um, you know, fairly, they, they, in those days there was a lot more bumping and tackling, so we were hit all the time. By half time we were in front, but um, we we were uh, Ted looked at the um, 
at the players at half time and said, Oh, what are we going to do? And the selectors said, Oh, we're in trouble here. What are we going to do? And Brendan Edwards was starring in the centre. And they said, Well, we've got to stop Brendan somehow, you know. And, and Ted looked around, and there was no one else in the side that was physically capable of um, doing any damage to Brendan Edwards. So at the first opportunity after half time, Ted. Um, when Brendan got the ball, Ted really bumped him hard and, and, and sent him down. And uh, they're both down on the ground and, and Ted sort of gets up brushing and dusting himself down. And he said, well, that's, I've done that part of the job. And then he turned and Ian Bryant, who was on, on the wing in our side, turned around and to, to Ted and he said, hey, Ted, he's getting up. <laughs> and not only did he get up, but he kept on playing and he was, you know, had to be best on ground, Brendan. Just amazing. We're talking to John Schultz, and this is your football life with the kindest regards of Tobin Brothers. Uh, these names, just listen to them at the moment, John Schultz. Jim Steins, Adam Uze, Adam Goods, Jack Titus and Brett Kirk and a few others. But you're right up there with playing 169 games on the trot. Were you lucky or was it uh, more than good luck? Well, it was a mixture of both. You, you, to pay 169 straight, you have to be very lucky. But I must say, you know, without blowing the trumpet too much, I was very aware of fitness, and also uh, I would sneak off into the into the uh, shower room pre-game and do my stretches and all that sort of thing because it was unheard of in those days. And um, I, uh, from the t- was it wasn't unknown for the head trainer to take me out on Saturday night after the game to his front garden. wasn't a lot of ice around in those days. Yeah. What he would do is he'd put me under the garden tap if I had a corky, and he would be working on me from Saturday night so that I'd be ready for the, the game the following Saturday. And I always took a bag of sand to to, to bed with me to sort of to, to apply to the sore spots, and um, and I never. Went without. I just almost lived in the training room, getting treatment for the whole week prior to a match. Wow! Realizing that you had to work as well, so it was a bit of a mixture of good luck and also, um, and probably playing in the ruck. There were times when, if I'd been playing in, a, say, it was today, and I had to play in a position and run as much as I do, that I wouldn't have been able to get on the ground. But in those days, I could get by because, um, you know, it was just a matter of being in position and, and using your body. Well, I'm sure everyone around the nation has enjoyed listening to uh, and reminiscing with what was a great footy career. And uh, as we thank you, I've just got a couple of other things to ask you. Uh, You sound well, John. What do you do in your retirement now? Well, I'm living down in Shoreham, and as I look out now, the surf's up. Uh, The boys will be out on the way, and my grandson's come down today, and he's... uh, I don't know whether he's been out yet or he's come back. He just walked in a little while ago. Sensational. But surf's definitely up for those surfers that want to get down there. And um, I play tennis and I play golf. Wow. So life's pretty good, Rex. Oh, I, and it's sounding good. And, and, and the best thing about it is grandchildren. Now, finally, uh, this is going to test you. There are several Bulldog greats who would like to see the Western Bulldogs revert back to Footscray like the Kangaroos reverted back to North Melbourne. Are you one of them? No. And for what reason? I think, you know, life goes on and, 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 and times change. And, and the whole focus of, of calling it, it's say, I think of it in my mind as Footscray Western Bulldogs, but I call ourselves Western Bulldogs. But what we're to really embrace is 
the demographics of Footscray as a such have changed dramatically. And what we need to do as a club is embrace the West. Yep. And that's what they're doing with that name. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. And what a great uh, time to catch you. And uh, I hope the waves are kind to the uh, grandkids and the salmon don't t- sort of interrupt too much with the boarding. <laughs> You're sounding well. And, gee, I've enjoyed it, John. I've respected you and liked you for a long time. And thanks for being our guest on Tobin Brothers. This is your footy life today. Thanks for having me, Rex. Folks, 80 years ago... Tobin Brothers Funerals was founded by brothers Leo, Fonce, Thomas and Kevin. The company flourished due to the brothers' vision, hard work and diverse strengths and interests. The first Tobin Brothers branch opened in North Melbourne and these days is home to their head office and chapel. Today, Tobin Brothers Funerals is still owned by the Tobin family and is a trusted household name with 22 locations and over 190 trained professionals. Find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au. And if you'd like to hear more of the interview with John Schultz and the extended version of this interview, check out facebook.com Tobin Brothers Funerals or follow us on Twitter at Rex Football Life.